So I have a quick little survey that I want to uh, conduct here this morning before we get into the text. It relates to Psalm 20, and it is connected to what you would like to know about the future or if you'd not like to know. So here's the question. If you had the option of knowing the bad things that were going to happen in 2019, okay, a list, the description, you'd like, I, I could know, look in the future, could see the bad things are happening, that are going to happen, rather, would you want to know or not? So if you would like to know, you know what, that would be helpful. I could prepare a little bit, I get my head around it. If you'd like to know, put your hand up. Wow, okay, good, put your hand down. If you're like, no way, put your hand up. All right, good. If you're like, I don't know, put your hand up. Okay, all right, very good. You don't know. So one of the reasons that that's an instructive or helpful question is how many times in your lifetime have you thought, man, I'd just like to know what's going to happen? Just wish I could see in the future? But the reality is the most difficult things in life when they happen to us I think most of the time we're glad that we didn't know it was coming. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I'm sure is true. That as you've looked back on your life and you've seen seasons of difficulties and moments of trials, you know that you could have never anticipated the way in which God helped you as you walked through that season of hardship or loss or uncertainty. Here's the crazy thing. You don't know what's going to happen to you, but you can know this, that no matter what happens, I can trust that God's got this. Some of you need to remind yourself of that because that's where you are right now in December 2018. You've got some uncertainty. You've got some challenges. Maybe this was a week that was filled with some level of anxiety, and you just need to be reminded today that you can trust in the name of the Lord your God. Others of you, you need to listen carefully to this message today because something's going to take place in 2019, and I don't mean to scare you. That's not my intention. But honestly, the time to prepare for suffering or hardship, the time to think through. Now, how do we think about this when things don't go well is now. And Psalm 20 is the kind of psalm that points us towards what it means to trust in the worthy name of our God. We're in the middle of a short little series on the royal psalms for this season that we call Advent, and the royal psalms are psalms written by David to celebrate the rule that God had promised him and his descendants after him. And so whenever we see a, a royal psalm, a psalm about a king, it not only has a earthly context, that being in particular the King David here, but it also has a, a picture or a, a portrayal of the ultimate king, namely Jesus. And so this, these royal psalms are helpful because they remind us what's happening here is connected to another world, and they help us to see important biblical truths. Last week we were in Psalm 18 and we learned about the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God at a very important time in David's life. Towards the end he surveys the historical works of God in his life and he just is amazed and celebrates that the Lord was his rock, his strong tower. Two weeks ago we looked at Psalm 2, 
another royal psalm that asks the question, why, does the nation, why do the nations rage? And we learned about the paradox of God's reign in our rebellion. Psalm 20 invites us to consider three important words that are vital if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, these are the three words that I hope would compel you, even today, to cross the line and say, you know what, it's done. I'm becoming a Christian today. And I hope these three words will help you. They're common words, and they're words that sort of fit with the tone of the text. They are the words hope, the words faith, and the words trust. So hope, faith, and trust. So what I want to do is to show you how this psalm helps us to understand each of those words and spiritual concepts. So first, in verses 1 to 5, Psalm 20 shows us the way in which David platforms hope in God's help. You know, every psalm, like almost every song, emerges from some sort of story. There's something that happens. If you're a country western music fan, it's because some breakup happened and so they had to write a song about it, right? Or you know, something else, some celebration or some event in history. Or, same is true with the book of Psalms. There, there's events that are behind the scenes that David, in this particular case, is writing about in order to both mark and to celebrate. Verse 1 helps us. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So what, what's happening here is David is anticipating some sort of challenge, some sort of trouble. If we look ahead to a few other verses like... Um, Oh, verse 7, the mention of chariots and horses leads us to conclude that it's probably a psalm that is to be sung or a prayer that's to be prayed before the king goes into battle. So Psalm 20 focuses on this idea of hope, particularly in God's help. Now, verses 1 to 5, when our brother Paul read the text, you may have heard a word that was used over and over and over. Let me just have you look at your Bible so you can see this. Verse one, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse two, may he send you help from the sanctuaries. Now I'm emphasizing the word that I want you to notice. It's the word may. It's used seven times in these five verses. Now. Why is that happening? Think about it for a moment. When, if somebody were to say to you, if I were to come up to you and say, may the Lord protect you, may the Lord bless you, what, what, what am I doing in that moment? I'm really praying a blessing over you, right? I'm, 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 I'm praying a petition on behalf of you. I'm, I'm interceding for you. And what's interesting is that this is what this psalm is intended to do. But what's fascinating is that David writes this psalm for his people to sing or for his people to pray about him likely as he goes into battle. So the thought process was probably something like this. David sees before him a battle, and he thinks, what do I want people to pray for me as I go into this battle? What are the, the things that I want people to intercede on my behalf for? And so David writes a song that he wants his people to sing that reflects his prayer of his own heart that he is hoping God will, in fact, answer. It's pretty instructive. As a pastor, I understand this at a particular level because... I am blessed to 
fairly regularly have people ask me, Mark, how can we pray for you? It's a very kind thing to do, and very meaningful, in fact. And yet, when you ask me how you can pray for me, I'm always mindful of two things. Number one, I'm mindful how unbelievably kind it is that you would pray for me. But secondly, I'm mindful of the fact that what I tell you to pray for is a bit instructive as to what is really important. So imagine, for instance, your disappointment if you asked me, how, Mark, how can I pray for you? And I responded, well, you know what? Pray the New England Patriots lose today. <laughs> and that was it, right? Imagine that would be pretty instructive. Although worthy prayer for sure, but very instructive, all right? Or maybe if I said, Pray that my commute on Monday and the traffic will, will be good and the traffic will be light. Or, how can we pray for you, Mark? Pray that my kids get me a nice Christmas present. <laughs> or, pray I don't burn the hamburgers at lunch today. So you feel the awkwardness? Like, really? That's, that's what's on your heart? That's what you really want? It reminds me, years ago, and I've used this illustration before, it was maybe eight years ago or so that I used it. In my last church, we had a Christian school, and we had a golf marathon, a fundraiser that people would come, they'd golf all day, and I was positioned at one of the tee boxes as uh, these dads would tee off, and, and um, before they would hit their balls, I would ask them, hey, guys, how can we pray for your kids? And so then they would give us prayer requests. And I remember the first year that I did this, it was really interesting and somewhat disappointing at times. There was a fair number of guys who had really good, solid prayer requests for their kids' hearts and where they were headed spiritually, but it was also really remarkable. Like about 50% of the dads that I asked that question to, they said, well, pray that my kids are healthy and safe. Healthy and safe. All right, well, we can pray for health and safety. That's not a bad thing to pray for, but to be honest with you, if that's the only thing you're praying for for your kids, there's a lot of things in life that are more important than health and safety. Do you know what I mean? And I found myself just a little disturbed that the first thing that comes to mind is just health and safety, when there are such bigger realities that lie underneath our lives. Pastor David Michael wrote a little book called Big, Bold, Biblical Prayers for the Next Generation. This, this is a really, really helpful little book. 65 pages. It is packed with some great truths. The, the point of the book is this, that moms and dads, and we all ought to pray for um, our children and next generation with big, bold, biblical prayers. Here's what he writes. When we pray for the next generation, our first prayer should be for the greater things, the big things, kingdom-sized things, as we trust God for the lesser things. This does not suggest that we should neglect praying for the smaller things, but rather we should prioritize our prayers toward the greater. It is certainly fitting to ask our Heavenly Father to give our children a fun day, help them learn to share with their siblings, to do well on their math test, heal them when they are sick, encourage them when they're discouraged, provide for their education, give them a godly spouse, and of course, provide us lots of grandchildren. However, and this is key, listen, too often our prayers for the next generation are limited to our concern for lesser things, and we neglect to pray for God's greater purposes for our children. So can I just ask you, if you were the king and you were going into battle, what would you pray? 
Or as you go into your next year, what are the things that are on your heart that you would want someone to pray over you? What are the things that are on your heart for? What, what do you want for your kids? What do you want for your small group? What do you want for your friends? What, what is it that you're, you're, you're asking, pleading, and, and praying for, for God to do? What are you hoping for? Well, the, kind of the neat thing about this psalm is we, we get a sense of what, what David is hoping for, or what he's believing in. Notice a number of things in verses one to five here. First, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. David is hoping in the fact that God hears. He's anchoring his heart on the fact that in the midst of anguish and difficulty and problems, when they all come our way, David is saying, look, you can place your hope in the fact that God hears our cry. And he hears our cry because he cares which is why it just blew the minds of the disciples to hear Jesus pray and address God as his father. And then Jesus invites them to do the same in Luke chapter 11. Why did that blow them away? Because it was opening the door to a new level of care as they prayed. Verse one also says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So David is hoping in God's ability, particularly his name, to serve as a protection. Now that idea of a name, the name of Jacob, the name of, rather, the God of Jacob is connected to God's character. It's his historic name, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, for instance, when, when Moses uh, says to God, related to the Exodus event and going down to Pharaoh. Well, who should I say has sent me? God says to Moses, tell them I am has sent you. So God gave Moses a name. And just think of the fact that Jesus invites us to pray in his name. So God's name is protective because of the substance and the character of the creator who is then behind it. So what are we hoping in? Verse two, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. So David is placing his hope that God can provide for him. So the people here ask for God to provide supernatural help. In the New Testament, this sounds like this, God providing the grace that we need. Or in the book of Hebrews, it sounds like this, that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in time of help, in time of need. So the question is, where do you first go when you're stuck? Psalm 20 says we ought to go and ask God for help. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Uh, it's as though the prayer that's being offered here in verse 3 is that David is saying, pray that my heart would be in a right relationship with God. They're asking for God to receive his offerings, to remember his sacrifices. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was this once-for-all sacrifice. And so what you ought to pray for one another when they're going through difficulty is this, help my friend remember that he or she is acceptable to you, Jesus, and their identity is in you, not in how the situation turns out. Verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Be careful if you read this to your children. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Whatever the newest or latest gadget is, I, can, I got a verse to name it and claim it right here. 
And what's he saying? He's saying what Jesus said in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it is that our will aligns with God's will. That's the prayer. Not that every wild desire of our heart is granted, but that God's heart and our heart would so be unified that what he desires, we desire. It's like Augustine who said, command what you will, but will what you command. That's the idea. In verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up, your, our, set up our banners. The idea is they're looking forward to that moment when they will see God deliver, and they'll actually set up like a, like a banner, a banner that they either wave or a banner that they hang that signifies God was faithful and we saw his salvation. And finally, that may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Saying, God, would you not only hear our prayers, but would you, would you answer us? So when you put this list together, what's here is a pretty amazing cataloging of some big and bold and biblical prayers. And some of you, in your lifetime, if you've lived long enough, you've experienced some amazing answers where you've seen God intervene. Part of the reason that some of you would raise your hand and say, I don't want to know, is because you know what it was like to walk through a season of difficulty previously, and you know that it would not have been possible for you to prepare for it. But here's what you do know. As you walk through that season, your hope in Christ stayed with you all the way to the end, and you saw God provide grace and help that you needed every single moment of every single day. Doesn't mean you didn't doubt. Doesn't mean you didn't struggle with fear. Doesn't mean that you didn't have to fight at certain moments, but here you are now at the end of 2018, and you are still trusting Christ, you're still holding strong to him, and you're still following Jesus. And a few years ago, you might have wondered, how in the world is this gonna happen? And it has, because God helped you, right? The key, friends, is to see the ways in which God has helped us, and in those big crisis moments, to be able to pull the lessons from those and to use them in the smaller moments of life. In 2004, when our lives were just rocked with the death of a, a daughter, trying to preach on a regular basis was incredibly challenging. Like I had nothing, I could barely survive, let alone preach every single Sunday. I remember talking with a friend about this issue and he said to me, Mark, what you need to do is to take the things that you've learned, the, the, the ways in which you've seen God be faithful in this crisis moment, you need to take those lessons and you need to apply them in your life every single day. It's as if we could say, if God has been faithful here, then surely he's going to be faithful in these things. If God's helped me in this situation, then surely he can help me in this. If God was with me through this dark moment, then surely he'll be faithful no matter what I face. So, friends, I want to remind you that Advent is a season where we celebrate God intervened in our time of trouble. Christmas is God's invasion where he sends the solution to our ultimate trouble, namely our own sin. And this text and all of the Bible would tell us, if God can help with that, then surely he can help you with your kids, your job, your loneliness, your depression, your infertility, your singleness, your bad marriage. Like, you think God can't handle that? He's taking care of the most 
difficult thing known to mankind, namely the pervasiveness of our sin, surely he can be trusted in these other things as well. But here's the thing. You need someone to regularly remind you of those truths. Look at the next verse. Verse 6, here we see the second word, the word faith. Not only do we have hope in God's help, but also faith in God's salvation. He says, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. What do you mean he knows? How does he know that? Well, what he's doing here is anchoring his belief on the promise of God. God had promised that God, that God would save David, that he would allow his descendants to reign on the throne of Israel. So underneath David's life as a king were these, these promises, these divinely given promises. He says he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So there's two things that happen in this text. Number one, his faith is anchored on God's promises and his faith is anchored on God's power. So promise and power, promise and power. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've anchored your life on God's promises, what he said to be true, and you anchor your life on his ability to do what he says. David's confidence isn't in himself. His confidence is in the promise of God. Here's where some of you may need to take some steps next year that part of the reason why your spiritual life kind of goes like this, up and down, like you're really hot or really cold, you're really on fire, you're really not, like really into Jesus or mm, not so much, or you have great victory and then lots of troubles, or you, 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 you're like, I win for a while, then I will fall off the wagon and I'm in the ditch again. Here's one reason that may be happening. It's because you don't know enough promises in the Bible. You're trying to live by a few promises when there's a boatload of promises. And you need in 2019 to determine, look, I need to spend some more time in the Word. I need to get connected in a small group or a Bible study of some kind. I need people proclaiming God's promises to me because I don't have enough of them. My promise security is thin, and as a result, when a temptation comes, I can't fight the promise of that temptation with the promise of God's Word. And I've got to get deeper in the Scriptures, not just so you know more Bible content. No way! The reason you know the Bible is you know promises so that when things come out, you, you know, nah, false promise. False promise. That's not true. This is true. And he comes to you and says, you've been abandoned. No, 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 no. False promise. The Bible tells me he will never leave me or nor forsake me. Or a promise that says you have to do this. This is who you are. No, 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 no. False promise. False promise. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And you start fighting promise battle by promise battle. So the question is, do you know the promises? I don't want to guilt you into reading the scriptures. I want to woo you that there are promises here for you to be able to read the Bible and go, oh, that's a great promise. And you live by it 24 hours. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning, find more promises. And you become a promise hunter so that you can be a faithful follower. You may be here today, not yet a Christian, and part of the reason you're here is because you have sort of run the gauntlet on all sorts of other promises and you have found them to be lacking. You found them to be empty. Here's the good news. All of us have that story. Welcome to the club of promise-disappointed disappointed people where we've run the gauntlet and realized this is going nowhere. The great thing is, though, if you're coming to the awareness of that, that's the first step of realizing that there's something more, that you need a heart transformation, something that happens from the inside out. 
And the Bible promises that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises to you that you'll be saved. The Bible promises to you that if you confess with your, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the crazy thing about Christianity is it isn't just something that you believe that comes from the inside. No, rather it's something that comes from the outside. Truth comes to you, you receive it, and then you're transformed. First step in becoming a Christian is to realize I need help believing the right promises. And then there's this issue of power. He says, with the saving might of his right hand. We don't have time to explore this in full, but this right hand idea is something that was found in the Old Testament all the time. Like the right hand was the, was the way that, that God delivered. So if you're left-handed, sorry, you're outside. So right hand, here we go. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. So what, what David's doing here is connecting this idea of a right hand to God's might and his power. So the right hand was like the symbol of strength, the symbol of power, the symbol of deliverance. And in the New Testament, it shifts from God's right hand and the ultimate symbol of God's deliverance becomes either the cross or the empty tomb. Because the right hand here in Exodus is connected to God's deliverance out of Egypt. In the New Testament, the greatest example of God's deliverance is the way in which God offers up the Son in order for him to pay for sins. Jesus drinks the full cup of death, and then God raises him from the dead to be sure that everyone knows, I just won. And so the greatest symbol of God's power now becomes the empty tomb. Just yesterday, I was at a funeral of one of our church members, Chung Man Lee, guy who was here for 24 years, faithful follower of Jesus, died way too young. I hate death. I want it to be over. So thankful, though, that there's an empty tomb that reminds me that one day every grave's gonna be opened, the dead will rise, Christ will come, and death will be no more, no more tears, no more sorrow. We're in Christmas, we're not in Easter yet, but Easter is a reminder that God delivers. And the way in which you persevere is to be reminded, God, I know what you said, I know what you did, so deliver again. I know what you did in the cross, I know what you did in the sending of your son, I know what you did in the resurrection of Jesus, and therefore, how do we endure? We say, do it again. We, 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 bury people by saying, Lord, do it again. We commit a person's remains and say, God, we believe that even in this you are still faithful. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. You will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So hope, faith, here's the last word, the word trust. We trust in his name. I love verse seven, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. If you mark up your Bible, underline it. This would be a good verse to underline, a good one to memorize. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, we rise and stand upright. Oh Lord, save the king. In the context, that's what they're praying about. May he answer us when we 
call. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. So as the king's going off in the battle, he's saying, some trust in chariots and horses. Now this totally makes sense because if you're a king going into battle, chariots and horses, like you need them. Like they're not optional. You win wars if you have more chariots and horses than your opponent. So chariots and horses are not insignificant. But here's the problem. We don't feel what the people in the ancient Near East felt when you see chariots and horses. There's no emotional connection that we have to that concept. But my guess is there's something that you trust in. Because all human beings trust in something. Human beings never live trust-neutral lives. Even if you're here today and you're an atheist, you're like, I don't even believe God exists. You trust. You trust that you have the ability to prove that God doesn't exist. You trust that your mind can work to put those thoughts together to draw a conclusion that is in fact correct. There's all sorts of belief that you have. You may not believe that God exists, but you believe in belief because you have beliefs, even if you don't want to admit that you have them. So no matter who you are or where you are in a spiritual journey, all of us have things that we trust in. And here's how a person comes to Christ. They realize all the things I'm trusting in, they don't work. The things that I'm trying to do, they, they're, they're empty. And it may be that you're here today and you've kind of run into the wall where that's now been pretty clear and pretty evident. Maybe it was a relationship blow up or your job situation is not working out. Or maybe it is you've like climbed to the top of the ladder and you went home and you're like, that's not it. Like you, you've hit the pinnacle of what you've always wanted and you went home, looked in the mirror and was like, this is so disappointing. And you know that there's this hole in your soul. And the reason is, is that you are not designed to have those things ultimately fulfill you. And trusting in those things will never ultimately satisfy. The text says, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. In the New Testament, this means trusting in the name of Jesus. In this context, it was that David said, you know what, I'm gonna trust not in the things that I would normally trust in, but I'm gonna trust in the name of the God who I know who can deliver me. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just encourage you there are things that you still have to work at to be sure that you don't trust in. So what are the things or the characteristics of the stuff that we would trust in? Here's a few. Usually the things that we would trust in, the chariots and horses of our day, are things that are useful. I mean, chariots and horses work, they do stuff. So normally the things that we place trust in, the reason we trust them is because they actually work. Chariots work, horses work. Money works, careers work. Image works, like it does something, and that's part of the problem. Objects that we trust are not only things that work, but they're also common, other people have them. And so you measure, do I have enough compared to them? Do I have enough money, do I have enough esteem, do I have a, a good career track, do I, do, I, do I have enough of these things? And then also there are things that make us feel safe. So objects that we trust in are usually useful, they're usually common, and they usually make us feel safe. Think of the thing that if you lost it, that you'd immediately feel nervous. You'd feel, I can't even concentrate. So for some of you, the last time you lost your phone, remember that? 
Like you couldn't even, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't eat, sleep, shower. You couldn't talk to anybody. Like, I got it from my phone, right? And a generation ago, people would be like, these people are crazy, right? They're so, but, but why? Because everybody else has one. You feel disconnected. You feel vulnerable. How am I going to know what's going on? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just one example. What about money? You fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you trust in is the thing that if you lost it, you would feel like you're going to lose it. So let me give you a definition that maybe you can remember. How do you know what you trust in? Here's how. It's the thing that you lose it over losing it. That's it. Did you get that? I'll do that again. Ready? All right. It's the thing that you lose it over losing it. That's it. So whatever you've got emotional tie to, that if it begins to be taken away, you grab a hold of it. No, 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 no. Some trust in what? Some trust in, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Christian, let me speak to you. Some of you who are followers of Jesus need to acknowledge that the last week was pretty much a trust failure all week. You let anxiety take control, you let anger rule you, you let fear, and, and, and this morning I want to invite you just to acknowledge before the Lord today and say, God, last week I trusted way too much, I let this thing control me, and you just need to fill in this blank today. You need to tell the Lord, Lord, as it relates to blank, I'm going to trust in your name, I'm going to trust in your promise and your power. There are some of you who are on the brink of a really good year in 2019. Some of you are on the brink of a really hard year. And I just want to remind you, no matter whether it's a good year or a hard year, God is worthy of your trust. And while everyone else is trusting in all sorts of other things, you need to remind your heart, no, 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 no. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord my God. Some of you are here and you're not yet a Christian and the fact of the matter is, the day of trouble that's happened upon you has opened your mind to the fact there's got to be something more. I'm so glad you're searching, so glad you're trying to figure that out. Here's what I tell you. The question you need to answer is this. When you die and stand before God and he knows everything that you've done that's wrong, what on that day are you trusting in? At the end of the day, your good works, as maybe many as there are, or the things that you've not done, they're, they're not going to be sufficient. And the, and the reason, essentially, is is because you've been involved with them, and like fingerprints on a glass, your sinfulness or conflicted motives affects everything. I mean, how do you really know why you give money? Do you give money with a pure motive every time? You say a compliment to somebody? Is that with an absolute pure motive? Of course it isn't. Think of all the things that you've done behind the scenes that nobody else knows about. God knows that all. What do you do with that when you stand before him? The only answer on that day, when you stand before a God who knows everything. You don't even have to testify. God already has got the goods on you. He knows everything. He knows you better than you know you. Imagine standing before that judge. No need to testify or take the fifth. I already know everything you've done. Ooh. On that day, the only answer is this. I'm a sinner, and you promised that if I put my trust in Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. And when you stand before the creator of the world, the only answer that works on that day 
has one name. Jesus. 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 And that's why when the smoke of history settles, there's only one person standing. Jesus. So here's what I would say to you if you're not a Christian. Why don't you come to Christ today? Why roll the dice any longer with your life? Why chase after empty things? You know are not going to work. If God's on your tail, friend, oh man, you better just listen because God has an unbelievable and gracious way of calling people to himself. Why not simply say today, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive you. I want to become a Christian today because there is no other name whereby people are saved. And if that's the truth that you believe that made you a Christian, then every time I talk like this or you hear this in the Bible, something within you ought to say, yes, yes, yes. That's why I live. That's where I hope. That's what I'm going to cling to all the days of my life. No matter what comes, high water or low water, difficulties or, or beautiful things at the end of the day, my heart lives by one name and one name alone. It's the name Jesus. I can hope. I can have faith. And I can trust in his name. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I ask you now to open our hearts to what it is that you are attempting to do today. Tear down little walls of resistance that we have. Make us the kind of people who in this moment respond to you. For those who are not Christians, or even today, they might simply call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, I believe and I want you to be my Savior, that they might become a Christian this very day, this very moment. So Lord, draw people, we pray, right now. Right now. And Lord, for those who know the name, the beautiful name of Jesus, would you help us to live in light of all of what that name means. Help us not to trust in anything but that name and to demonstrate our deeply held belief in that name by how we fight temptation, how we trust you in seasons of uncertainty, how we cling to you in sorrow. So, Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so amazed at the power and the promise of that name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.